welcome to uh, once again to Grace Community Church, and we always or try to remember to thank those folks who will be watching online uh, or picking up uh, the, the broadcast at a later date. We appreciate your support and uh, participation uh, in the church here. Oh my goodness. Everybody doing good? Everybody doing good? Did you know God was good? And all the time? There you go. We got her down. Ready, ready. I uh, just uh, seen a new book promoted this morning that I'm going to have to get. Uh, it's just uh, I need more frustration in my life, so I want to read this. Uh, Dr. Jeremiah just released a book called The Dismantling of America. And I'm looking forward to getting that, I guess. Uh, but uh, uh, just something that, uh, folks, it's alarming. I, I'm going to begin quite on a serious note here. It's alarming to, to see, to hear what's going on and the basically total abandonment of any reasonable morality, common sense, common living practices, just Everything that uh, we have always considered the norm is no more. It's no more. And yesterday, uh, no, Friday, Friday, I guess, the governor of Kansas vetoed the Born Alive bill. The epitome of evil. Evil. It's an evil act demonic act to deny care, life-saving care to a baby who was born during a botched abortion, but born alive. The medical staff is under no obligation to provide any care for that child. They simply let the little girl or little boy die. All the bill was, was that if the child was born alive, survived the barbaric act of abortion, if the child survived, then they would provide medical care to sustain life. The governor said, no. No. I want to tell you something, folks. Our children are growing up under these expressed principles. And when you teach a child that life in the womb or life even on the table has no value, why in the name of God do you think there's mass shootings in America? Why do you think there's a total disregard for life at all levels if you teach a child that the baby has no special purpose, has no value? God help us. And may God save the wicked soul of Laura Kelly. <sighs> Pastor Adam, would you pray, please?
That's right. Amen and amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. A brief confession as we enter into the text this morning. I wrestled with this one, but it was good. I have, I've always uh, held to, to someone else who said, it's okay to wrestle with things before God, just don't wrestle with God, because he'll knock your hip out of joint. And you'll walk with a limp the rest of your life. <laughs> so this is one of those you, you wrestle with a little bit. There's so much historical significance as we present and work towards application. And we will attempt to do that in proper order and in proper time. But I, I, I really, uh, I almost broke it in half. I almost preached two weeks on it. And I thought, no, the rule says one week per psalm. That's the rule, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, the Lord brought it together. And, and I, I pray, I really earnestly pray that uh, I would never compromise a passage just to get through it. God, Lord, help me, help us never to do that. But now, let's stand, if you are able, at the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture this morning. We will be moving along fairly rapidly, but uh, again, praying that all due justice will be done to God's holy and right word. Psalm 132, it's the longest of the Psalms of Ascent. So follow along with me as we read. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. And he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, and we found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Give, whoa, excuse me. Oh, that was a good one too. Give thanks to the Lord, please. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body will sit on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, your sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest will clothe with salvation and her saints with shout of joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. 
His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Father, your word is mighty. Your word is powerful. Your word is penetrating. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, these words will take root in our hearts. Father, that we will have a level of understanding, a level of comprehension of what these promises mean to us today and forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Again, today's psalm is a bit unusual as we compare it to the other psalms of ascent. It is much longer, and the subject matter is much more historical. Much of it has to do with the history leading up to David and his throne. And we need to have a a little bit of insight into Israel's history to help our understanding of all of its parts. The psalm has a lot to do with the ark, the ark of the covenant, the dwelling place of God. It was a symbol of God's presence and, and it was a symbol of his rule among and over his people. There are two key promises in this psalm. And if you just want to think, uh, recap for just a moment, one is David makes a promise to God. And two, God makes a promise to David. Now just kind of keep that in mind as we, as we move through the text. And we'll be revisiting those points in just a moment. But this psalm unveils, it literally unveils, unpacks God's promise and plan for all ages. It it stretches all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham, to Jacob at Bethel, to the construction of the ark and the temple and all the journeys that the ark went on before it ever got to the temple. I wish we had time to go over that. It's fascinating to follow the ark around Israel for like 20 years. It was, God was on the move. So, so the, and, and then of course it leads up to actually Solomon placing the ark in the first temple. Again, we'll revisit that in just a moment. So my task is to bring to us through these 18 verses, the full scope of biblical revelation And how they apply to our lives. And we're going to do it in 25 minutes. David makes a promise to God. David makes a promise to God. Sincere. Heartfelt. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord with a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David says, I got to build God a house. He says, I got to build God a house. I've got this palace, ornate and luxury filled and God's living in a tent. Something's just not right here. So I must provide for God a dwelling place. Now, we think that is right and proper to a degree. The temple was a, a place that we would say by God's design was to be built. And God will give the details of that in just a little while. But I, I just kind of wonder if sometimes we don't take that to a level we shouldn't take it. 
that somehow we feel we're obligated to provide services for God. That somehow we feel obligated to meet God's needs by doing this, that, or the other. And according to the title of the sermon, rather than resting in God's provision. I think caution may be the key word to this. But I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what are the hardships of David? What, What does this mean? We begin this great song with this request, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. Well, do you know what it took David to finally get that ark to Jerusalem? I mean, it, it, the Philistines had it. You know, God, wasn't, God was popular on one hand and very unpopular on the other. The Philistines had the ark at one time. Y'all remember that? Yeah, Israel went into battle against the Philistines. And they get up there and they get whooped. They get whooped bad. And so they all, all the elders back in the city get together and they say, you know what? Here's the problem. We forgot to take God with us. We forgot to take God with us. So the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they decide we're going to fix this. We're going to take God up to the next battle. Folks, have you ever went to battle without God? It may be because he didn't want you there in the first place. If he wanted us there, he'd be there with us. They take God up to the battle. Guess who ends up getting God? Well, getting the Ark of the Covenant. Philistines. Well, God ain't messing with them pagan gods. You know, they set the Ark of the Covenant in there next to Dagon, their their, their deity. (laughs) Next morning they come, well, he's on the ground. He's all busted up. He fell over, you know. After a period of time, the Philistine says, get this guy out of here. Get, Get this Ark out of here. This ain't nothing but trouble. So the Ark gets handed around. David, on his next on the endeavor, uh, again, he tries to get the ark to Jerusalem. And, and, and listen to these words. As, as he ascended, first of all, to the throne over Israel, part of his hardships was he was constantly pursued by Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. David literally had to run for his life while honoring Saul's position as God's anointed. I, and then even when he got the throne, guess what? He had to flee again because his own son rebelled against him and wanted the throne. But I think the key hardship had something to do with the Ark of the Covenant and Jerusalem. And I read these words out of 2 Samuel 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went all the people with him who were from Bala Judah and bring up the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Anybody see anything wrong yet? Anybody see anything wrong? Listen to my words. Listen to the word of God. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it up out of the house of Abinadab. What's wrong with that? God don't write on carts. Right? There's a procedure. Now, folks, we're talking, you know, say, yeah, preacher, you're talking legalities here. No, no, I'm talking about obedience. Obedience. God had designed a specific way to transport the ark and specific people to carry it with the poles so that nobody touched the ark. Do you see it? That's why he had the poles that went through the rings on the side. Listen. And they brought it up out of the house of Abinadab which was on a hill. 
So you got the description, right? Uh-oh, problems. He's on a hill. And Uzzah and Ohio. And I don't think he lived in Columbus. I think it was, no. Lord, help my, my wandering mind. <laughs> the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassinets and cymbals. You see what's going on here? This is a huge worship service. This, this is the parade of parades. They are transporting this sacred vessel back to Jerusalem that represented the very presence of God. And they were all worshiping. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God. And took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against, the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. David said, I don't even want to mess with this thing either. You see what's happening here? Now, why was God so, 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 so almost, it sounds cruel? It was simple. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we think for a minute, God really needs us. Not only to provide for his needs, but to protect him. He wants us, he desires us, he gifts us, he empowers us for service in his kingdom work. But don't you think for a minute God needs anything. R.C. Sproul made a comment on this passage, and I've always remembered it, years ago. He said, why was Uzzah struck down? Because his hands were dirtier than the ground. God, the ark would have fallen on. That's why humans weren't supposed to touch it. The unholy touching the holy. Guys, it's, we got to understand this in context. God is now an approachable God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have a personal relationship with the Father. But be careful that there's no disrespect in this relationship. God is still holy. God is still just. God is still separated from sinful man in those regards. But only the blood of Jesus Christ can allow us to stand in his presence. That's it. Because when we come into the presence of God through prayer or fellowship or worship or anything, daily living, we wake up in the morning and take a breath and we're in the presence of God. We got to recognize that you're holy. And we need to get that reverence back, brothers and sisters. God is God. And yes, he is my friend, but he's not my buddy, 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 buddy. There's a difference. Now, you got you to hold on. You got to stay with me. 
I don't want us to be afraid of being struck dead because we did something improper before a holy God. I just want us to know that he deserves and demands our reverence and respect. Is that something else that's missing in our culture? Reverence and respect? Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we need to get it back in the church before we expect to get it out there. Amen? Amen. The first attempt was a total disaster. You talk about a party crasher. Uzzah, get your hands off of that which is holy. The Bible tells us that God also remembers all the trials and hardships that we go through. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and love that you have shown for his name, serving the saints as you still do. What a great God we have who chooses not to remember our sins and simultaneously promises not to forget the goods we have done for his name. Isn't that a wonderful God? Oh, Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. David then makes a promise to provide the dwelling place for God. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one, the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I love this. Let me read it again. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Second Samuel 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. There's the same account of what we just read in Psalm 132. So David finally gets the ark to Jerusalem. Fast forward, moving ahead. This promise was, was, was fulfilled by David. He gets it to Jerusalem. In verses 6 through 9, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his field. David says, we found it. We've located the ark. Let's go get it and get it home. Remember, Ephrathah is another name for Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? God was resting in Bethlehem. What else happened there? Nothing else happened in Bethlehem? A baby was born in Bethlehem. Wow. That is so cool. The house of bread. Bethlehem. This describes the ark coming in right here in chapter 132 of Psalms. It describes God's covenant people and we must move on for the sake of time. Lord, help us. Now, it's interesting when we come to Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple in Second Chronicles, these same words are expressed that we just read in Psalm 132. So there's a, there's a tie here. There's a connection between the temple, the dedication, and the words that were recorded so long before. 
And he closes his prayer with these same words from Psalm 132. Now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priest, O Lord, be clothed in salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Also in Psalm 132, we find not just the pilgrim coming to Jerusalem, but we see the ark coming as well. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful account of God interacting with his people. And I've had the privilege of being in Aksum, Ethiopia, where God now dwells. Did you know that? At least they claim. I don't know what them boys have at the Ethiopian Coptic Church, but they have something of great historical significance. And they, of course, claim to have the Ark of the Covenant in a shrine there. All right, God makes a promise to David. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which you will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach him, their sons also forever shall set on your throne. Listen, when Samuel... Lord, when God came to Nathan and spoke, he said, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people out of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in the tent for my dwelling. You see how God's recapping things now? He's filling David in. Uh, in this psalm, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pastors from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my Israel, my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Stay with me, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, Zion, Jerusalem, so that they may dwell in their place and be disturbed no more, and violent men will afflict them no more, as formerly from the time I appointed judges over Israel. And listen, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that you, to you, that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, and I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Listen, God says right there, David, it's not going to be you. It's not going to be you. It's going to be your offspring. It's going to be your son. David, I really appreciate the promise, and I'm going to let you gather all the, uh, the, 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 the supplies, all of the material needed to build the temple, but you are not going to build it. It's going to be your offspring, and not only will your offspring build the temple, your offspring will establish, as I did with you, your offspring will carry out the eternal throne that I put in your name. Whew. Adam, breathe for me. There you go. Guys, I, I don't know if you get all wound up like I do <laughs> with these passages, but I think this is absolutely phenomenal that we serve such a magnificent and consistent God where we have to get over the fact that we are so, oh boy, now stay, stay with me in context, that we are so vitally important to his mission that we need to make promises to him that are not in his plan at all. Think about it. 
it tells me we got to be diligent in seeking the will of God before we make promises to God. And I think we could be more faithful in that area. You could read more in 2 Samuel chapter 6, chapter 7. David, your throne will be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. David, your desires are noble and pure, but you will not build my house. Your offspring will. In 1 Kings 5, now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that he had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son whom I will set on the throne in your place will build the house for my name. Solomon, go for it, man. Brothers and sisters, this is it. When God releases you, go for it. When God is fulfilling his plan, be right in the middle of it. Solomon was fully aware of his time coming. He was fully aware that his moment had arrived. God said, David, your father did not build this house, but son, you're going to get it done. Believe God. Believe him. Also, reference 1 Chronicles 22 Write these down if you want. It, it is just, it, it's too big a story to get in in this time. But the key is this. God promises David an eternal kingdom, a throne that would endure forever. This cannot reference just an earthly throne. It introduces another king in the lineage of David, King Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. In context, this is a prayer for the immediate king, Solomon, but also the fulfillment of promise of the coming Messiah. Here is the point. David said, God, I will build you a house. And God replied, no, David, I'll build you a house, a house that'll last forever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. God took the best of David's promises and made them even better. One author says, Psalm 132, it celebrates how the Lord gently, gently sets aside the best and best intentioned of human proposals and replaces them with his own infinitely better purposes. Can I read that again? It celebrates how the Lord gently sets aside the best and best intentioned of human proposals and replaces them with his own infinitely better purposes, resting on a more sure oath and confirmed by a far better promise. Praise God. He takes our weakness. He takes our fragile natures. He takes the brokenness. He takes everything and just makes something beautiful out of it and through us. It reminds us how God meets and outdoes our feeble requests. And it's even more ready. He is even more ready to give us more than we can even ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, Ephesians 3 and verse 20. The last portion, God makes a promise to us. We broke it in two, but you're getting three. It says, the Lord has chosen Zion. 
He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. There I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her portion or provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. You're talking about us now. You're talking about us. You see? We, we went as far back as the Abrahamic covenant, Jacob, and, and now we're in the new covenant. You see that? Isn't that cool? Three things I want us to go home with today. Number one, when God made a promise to us, it is the promise of his presence. The promise of his presence. That's where God finds his dwelling place. That's where the Holy Spirit finds his dwelling place, in the new temple. Not the one made out of wood and stone and gold and silver. But he finds his dwelling place in these old clay pots. Earthen vessels. How great a God is that? Jerusalem was just another pagan Canaanite city until David captured it from the Jebusites. God chose it. David captured it. Solomon built it. And the Lord moved into it. But we also have the God's promise to dwell with his people. God dwelled with us. He dwelt with them symbolically through the ark and in the temple. He dwells with us physically through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He dwells with us spiritually today through the Holy Spirit and the church. He will dwell with us ultimately in the new heaven and the new earth. Promise of his presence, promise of his provision. We find in verse 15... And I will abundantly bless her provisions. God does nothing half-heartedly. He does things abundantly for his glory. The promise of abundant blessings. What is the greatest blessing God imparts unto us? The blessing of salvation. The blessing of salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord, it's the Lord who saves. That's a blessing. Christ promised us an abundant life, didn't he? Yeah, an abundant life. God, God kind of spiritually, if you think about it, he just kind of overdoes things for his glory. I heard of somebody, oh boy, we got to go. I heard somebody say one time, he plants flowers in places no one will ever see just to display his own grace and glory. The promise of presence, the promise of provision, and the promise of preservation and salvation. In verse 16 and 17, we begin to wrap it up. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. Somebody say hallelujah. You, his saints, shout for joy. God is good. And he is faithful to his promises. The priests of verse 9 not only are clothed with righteousness, but now are clothed with salvation. The New Testament tells us that these things are fulfilled in us today 
through and in our salvation. First Peter 2, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the priest clothed in righteousness of Psalm 132. Do you see it? We are them. And the horn that would sprout out of David, once again, the promise of Messiah. The promise of the Messiah. And finally, and I assure you, I promise you, I give you my word, the last point. The promise of presentation. I love this one. The promise of presentation. Now here is the climax of the whole psalm. All of the promises come together and are fulfilled in heaven. In heaven where Christ reigns as king and where we will dwell with him forever and ever. The horn of the Old Testament is a symbol of strength. The lamp is a symbol of light and life and goodness. The crown here speaks not only of Christ's rule, but also his holiness. The fact that his crown is shining or resplendent speaks of Christ's glory, a glory that was previewed for us on the Mount of Transfiguration and later viewed by John in the great vision in the book of Revelation. This is the presentation of the King of glory, the Messiah, the anointed one. And we close with these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, Zion, Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor any more, for the former things have passed away. And he, he who was seated on the throne, there's the presentation of our Lord. Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, here's the provision. He the thirsty, I will give them from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I want to skip over just a moment. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, like clear crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and the gates' names were the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed. And on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city was 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its great walls. And the city lies. And he measured it with his rod. Excuse me. And I want to close. Verse 22. I said that six times now. Stay with me. This is important. And I saw no temple in the city. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm pumped. We've just spent 25, 30 minutes talking about the temple and the ark, and we get to heaven, and there ain't one. I love it. I love it. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon or shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light all nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will never be night. They will bring into it into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it. Not anyone, nor does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Hello, glory. Hello, heaven. Oh, my land, I praise God for your patience, for not throwing something at me. And brothers and sisters, I I really can't make an apology for going a little long. I just get so excited about this scripture, so excited about these passages. And if we can see more clear in any way possible uh, to see the, the intimate connection, there is no separation, there is no break from Genesis to Revelation. It's one continuous story. And everything that we find there, we have found now in different form. Praise God for his infinite wisdom. And praise God that he chose, just for the memory of George Doss, a bunch of wretches like us to serve in his kingdom work. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are a great and awesome God, worthy of of all glory, honor, and praise. And we add alone worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Thank you for loving us. Thanking, thank you for your infinitely wise plan that extends before creation beyond to eternity past. All these things were set in motion. And we're here today to live in the fruit of what you have done. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that they join in the celebration, join in the celebration of being in a relationship with the Most High God through the shed blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus.